0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: So now we think of Jesus on the cross and he fulfills Psalms 22. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cries out in the midst of his suffering. And, and I think when people ask why did Jesus question why God abandoned him? Why have you forsaken me? Because he was a hundred percent man and he was in shock.
0: When we think of Jesus, we might think only of a king, only in all authority as God and the Son of God. But Jesus was also a man, fully human, who felt pain and heartbreak like us. He felt loneliness, rejection, grief. He is our great high priest who knows how to be our every need because he knows what we go through. With a powerful continuation out of Hebrews 5 on Jesus, our high priest, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson.
1: I wanted to talk about Melchizedek. He's first introduced in Hebrews 5. I wanted to talk about him before we get there, but Hebrews 7 gives us a lot of clarity, right? So verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, So far, he's just quoting from what we learned in Genesis. Okay, king of righteousness, king of peace, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham appropriated a tenth part of everything. So this is in the New Testament, we learn that it was Abraham that tithes to Melchizedek. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, and that is king of peace. So now in Hebrews, they're just giving you the Hebrew writings for his name. He is without father and without mother or genealogy, having neither begin of days nor end of days, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. Melchizedek continues a priest forever. Now, the statement that I just read, one of those two is is an analogy. One of those two is a metaphor. This passage has a metaphor in it. So either it's a metaphor that he is without father, without mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days. And this is where quite frankly, most historians land. Most historians will say, this is just saying, we don't know his lineage. We don't know his father. We don't know his mother. We don't know his genealogy. And so that's what it means when it's written. That's not what it says. sometimes things are written in a certain way and you learn that they're a metaphor by comparing scripture to scripture. But I don't know that there's any other scripture to help us understand if that's a metaphor. But then it says, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. It doesn't say, but being the son of God, which you could say he is a priest forever, but resembling the son of God. So now you got, well, it doesn't say he's the son of God. It says he resembles the son of God. So we can clearly get that Melchizedek is a type for sure. No question. He is a type of Jesus. The question that I have is, how is he a priest forever if he was just a priest that lived, I mean, let's go back, what is it, 3,500 years ago to the time of Abraham? Maybe a little longer, yeah, 3,500 years ago, eh, a little longer. If he, a pri- if he was just a guy that lived, and he was a priest, the God most high, why is he a priest forever? How does he carry on that priesthood any more than, than the, those from Aaron who died? Now, maybe there's an answer to that. But I would, that's, that's a question that I have. Could it be that when it says "resembling the Son of God," Jesus became the only begotten of the Father? Even though he's referred to as the Son of God in the Old Testament, when he is begotten, it could it be that he is like the Son of God because Jesus had not become the Son of God yet. He was the second part of the Godhead, for sure, in Melchizedek, if indeed Melchizedek is Jesus, and then he became the Son of God, being the, became the only begotten. There had to become a time when he was begotten. He became human, right? The incarnation. And so at that point, he became the son of God. And maybe it's making a reference. And again, I might get myself into some trouble here because people might say, well, you don't believe that Jesus was the son of God before he was begotten. And I would say, yes, I believe that. So there's just some tension in this passage, right? Because it, it doesn't seem like he's saying he's a normal guy. And then it says the son of god he continues for a priest forever see how great this man was to whom abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils and the descendants of levi who receive a priestly offering have a commandment in the law to take tithes from people that is from their brothers though these also descended from Abraham. So he's just making the point that I made earlier that inside of Abraham are the Levites and the Levites take tithes from the people and, and Abram gave tithes to Melchizedek, which means that Melchizedek was superior. So he's been making the point throughout the book of Hebrews, Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus is superior to Moses. He's going to make the point that Jesus is superior to the high priest. And he makes the point that Jesus is superior to Melchizedek or at least the same which if he is the same, that means that this was a Christophany, which is where I land. I, I didn't change my mind. And, and I, I really wanted to look deeply into it because I hold the minority position. Most pastors will say that he was a, a, a literal person. Most historians will say he was a literal little person. And whenever I hold the minority position on something, you've got to ask yourself, am I right? Right? Because, you know, and are these guys that are so well-schooled in in Hebrew and in the Bible and in history, far better than me, if they hold a different position than I do, you have gotta really examine and see whether or not your position really has any validity to it. And I think it does. And I don't know how to defend it other than that. (laughs) Then just to say that after I look at it and I look at all the passages and I look at everything that I can possibly look at, uh, that's what I believe. Now it may be that I get more information. Right? It might be that we might find something else. There might be, you know, uh, there, there are writings about Melchizedek and the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found a whole new portion of Dead Sea Scrolls here recently. So it may be that some information will come out of the Dead Sea Scrolls because these were Jews that lived in Qumran where they were found. Maybe we'll get more information about them. All right? Should have just did the whole sermon on Melchizedek. Let's take a look here and we'll see how we go. I, I may bail out of this and we might pick up chapter 5 next week. So, verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 5 For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, meaning that they are chosen by men to deal with the things of God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. This is a human who is chosen from the tribe of Levi, from the family of Aaron, to give sacrifices. Verse 2 He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. I, any priest of, any of Israel that was from the tribe of Levi, from the family of Aaron, had the same struggles that we all have. And so there could be compassion with the sacrifices. And a priest was supposed to have compassion. By the way, pastors and leaders today should have compassion. When someone finds themselves, and i I say find themselves. I, well, I want to stop saying that. When someone finds himself in sin, would you just wake up? Whoa, whoa, I'm in sin. found myself in sin. When someone gives in to temptation and sins, and it's a severe sin, and someone is heartbroken over it. Remember, we're supposed to have a contrite heart. Then, then pastors and leaders should be compassionate. What does the Bible say in Galatians chapter six, that we're to consider ourselves, lest we also be tempted. So we need to have compassion as well. So so these high priests had to have compassion. And, And so they were chosen among men and they had compassion. It says, because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. Because of this, he has to give a sacrifice for his own sin. He has to give a sacrifice for other people's sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who was called by God, just as Aaron was. So it isn't somebody that just chooses to be a priest in that way you have pastors along that same line the bible says let not many of you desire to be teachers because you will incur a stricter judgment which is a scary passage for pastors which with all of the pastors falling into falling into sin here i go again with all of the pastors that it's come out that there's so much sin in their lives maybe not taken seriously enough so it was with them and then in verse five it says So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he also who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So this wasn't something that Jesus chose for himself, but that the father chose for him. And that he was called his son, and that's a quote from Psalms chapter two, verse six. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And that's Psalms 110, which we just read. Who in the days of his flesh he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, he was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So now we think of Jesus on the cross, and he fulfills Psalms 22. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cries out in the midst of his suffering. And and I think when people ask, why did Jesus question why God abandoned him? Why have you forsaken me? Because he was 100% man and he was in shock. Being beaten all night, being scourged, the, the loss of blood, being nailed to a cross, being hung up on it. The first, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we come back to verse seven and read it again, thinking of Jesus, okay? Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience, which he suffered. Now, Again, it's kind of a strange way to put it, that Jesus learned obedience. We would think of Jesus not having to learn anything, but Jesus had to learn who he was when he was a baby, when he was born, and Mary laid him in the, the manger. He didn't say, Mom, Dad, just want you to know I got everything under control. God in the flesh, you know, little baby talking to you. He had to learn. He had to grow in wisdom and understanding. And so here Jesus learned obedience through suffering because it's hard to go through suffering. And if Jesus had to learn obedience through suffering, then we learn obedience through suffering as well. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. Jesus is the one who saves us. He is the author of salvation to all who obey him. And that phrase, to all who obey him, there is this controversy out there that involves the area of soteriology. That is the, the theology of salvation that you are saved by faith and faith alone, right? By grace through faith alone. You believe, you trust by faith and you're saved. But then there's there's those who say that you have to repent and turn. Jesus said from the very beginning of his ministry, repent. So you have to turn in order to be saved. And so people say, but that's works. But really, I just think there's a confusion on what's happening here. We are saved by grace through faith and it's not a work. But out of that comes obedience to Christ. When you are genuinely saved, you want to be obedient to him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. First John says, if you love Jesus, you'll do the things he said. You'll keep his commandments. So part of the revelation that we have genuinely been saved is that we are obedient to the things Jesus said. So I don't think there's a problem here. I don't think there's a controversy here. So when you hear somebody, you know, talking about easy believism, that's what they're talking about. They're making a reference that they're teaching that you don't have to repent, that you don't have to but, but we believe in the transforming power of God. When you invite Christ into your life, when you receive the work that he did for you by, by faith, he transforms you. And that transforming power brings you into obedience of Christ. So I think that this argument is two sides. It's two sides of the same coin. They argue against each other. It's like, they shouldn't be doing it. And a, and a pastor will get all uppity. This easy believism that's taught. Just ask Jesus into your heart, and they'll misquote many pastors. Like, that's what we say. Just invite Jesus into your heart. You'll never hear me say that. I say you have to receive him, but I'll never say you have to receive Jesus into your heart. But they'll say that. And then you say, raise your hand, and now you're saved. Easy to The other side will say, well, these people are teaching works. You've got to do something to be saved. So you've got to be obedient in order to be saved. And to some degree, there are those who are teaching that. But in reality when we commit our lives to Christ and we believe the author of salvation, we do obey him because we've been transformed. And if we are not genuinely saved, we are not transformed and we don't obey him. So we, are, we, we, we do truly repent. When we say, Lord, I want you in my life. Lord, I open up, I want you. I, I, yeah, I invite you in. So the Bible says in John 1, 12, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. So it's in receiving him by faith through grace, not of works, but then we obey him. And you're going to find this kind of Tension throughout all of the scriptures. And so you'll still find these people arguing about it. and, And when they're preaching about it, thinking they've got the right way, when they're really just arguing the same thing. Verse 10, called by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus was called by God, a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. So now he says, Look, I've got to get into Melchizedek. This is the writer of the Hebrews, whoever he is. I've got a reason to believe it's not Paul now, by the way, and I'll I'll share that at another point. But because I've always said I think that this is probably Paul writing in Hebrew instead of Greek, but I have a reason to believe that it might not be him. Whoever the writer is, he's saying, I want to get into Melchizedek now, but I can't because you guys have become dull of hearing. You're walking away, they're immature. They're they're not sticking in there. They're not enduring to the end. They're leaving the faith. And so thus we have all these warnings that we find in Hebrews. And so then we get to the end of this section before he can get into Melchizedek, which he'll do in the next two chapters. And he says this to them, for though by now you ought to be teachers. You guys have been Christians long enough. You should be teachers. But you need someone to teach you again the principles of the oracles of God, the very beginnings of the things of God. You have to have somebody teach you. For you have come to need milk and not solid food. You've come to just settle in. They just settled into to kind of what they believed. They didn't go any farther. I hope that's not you. I hope you have a hunger for God's word, a hunger to learn more, a hunger to dive in, a hunger to read the scriptures and underline things and, and put question marks by it, and to do research and to figure it out. We live in an unprecedented time when we can do that. Certainly, Christians could have done it throughout all centuries. But we live in an incredible time where there's all this information. And they just, they should have been teachers, but they needed to be taught the elementary principles again. He says, you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of milk only is unskilled in the word of righteousness. And they just aren't able to handle the word of God. They can't answer questions about it. They just don't know how to handle it. Although they've been around the word of God long enough. And quite frankly, I believe that that's happening in the church today as well. There's something taking place called the deconstruction. There are people who are deconstructing their faith. Some of them are authors. Some of them are musicians that wrote the songs we sing. And they're now coming out and saying, we're not Christians anymore. And, and I think a lot of it is because they just have entered into the elementary principles and that was it. They never really dove in more. They never really poured into all of it. They never waded into the deep side. They're in the shallows. The sha la 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 lows. (laughs) See, if you guys start laughing, you're going to get more of that stuff. Um, But they haven't gone into the deep. They are in the shallow, and they don't go into the deep. And we have so much that we can dive in and really learn. And the Word of God is so incredibly rich beyond measure that you can spend a lifetime pouring into it and finding more and more. I've taught as a pastor for 40 years, 37 years here at this church, In October, I've taught through, thank you. I've taught through book after book after book. I've taught the same book over and over again. And we just did Daniel, right? And and I don't know how many times I've taught Daniel now here at this church. It's probably four times, I'd say. Four four or five, more than three or four. And when I got done with the book, you know what I wanted to do? I just wanted to teach it again. I was like, I can do better. (laughs) There's so much more stuff in there that I didn't really dive into and I didn't really get into. That's the entire word of God. I don't think there's a book I finish that I don't go, man, you know, it takes us 12 years to go through the Bible. And so it's, you know, when, when we finish Hebrews, it'll be another 12 years. And I'm like, I don't want to give anything up. I want to try to cover it all. Huh, I'm not even sure I'll be here in 12 years, I hope, but I'm not sure. I'll be able to go through Hebrews one more time. But it, it's all there for us to dive into. And it's so rich. And don't let anybody... Somehow hoodwink you into thinking that the the Bible is just this collection of religious writings that was written long after the events that took place. They're not. And there's evidence for that. And so he goes on to say, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of God, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And I love that passage, by reason of use. We take the passages of the word of God, we take the truth of the word of God, and by reason of use, we understand them because we're applying them into our lives. We're doing the things that we read. It's not just, we're not just passively hearing them, right? In the last chapter, he said that the children of Israel came to the promised land. They heard the word of God, but they didn't mix it with faith. And so they didn't receive anything from it. How many people hear the Word of God but don't mix it with faith and so they don't receive anything from it? And that's that's these guys. And may we, by matter of use, take the Word of God, apply it, use it, talk to people about it, look for places where it's applicable and have our senses exercised to discern good from evil. Now, let me close with two things and then I got to run almost literally because if you don't know, we have another campus i've got to go teach over there i get to teach the same thing again without the corny jokes by the way <laughs> so um a couple of things in application and closing first peter 2 9 says who we are as christians we've been talking about who jesus is and possibly who melchizedek is and i believe it is a christophany i believe it's a christ appearance in the old testament i think the way he shows up in the middle of the thing with sodom the way he receives all of it i, I already covered it i won't cover it again But here in 1 Peter 2, 9, 1 Peter 2, 9, we learn who we are. It says, but you are a chosen people. God chose the church. And he knew there would be people he would choose to be in the church. And God knew beforehand that you would make a decision to follow him and that you would be in the church. And so God chose you. Now, many are called, but few are chosen. So the call goes out to a lot of people but you've been chosen by God. You are a chosen people. This is important. You, you aren't just here because, well, I decided to become a Christian and I kind of crashed in the kingdom of God, like crashing a party. You, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Now, I don't know whether or not we're a royal priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek. I spent a little bit of time trying to suss that out today and I, I won't hang anything on it, but we are a royal priesthood. We're not the tribe of Aaron, for sure. But we are a priesthood. Every man and woman that's in here, you are a royal priesthood. And then it says you're a holy nation. We are a nation, the church, the ecclesia, as a nation set apart by God, a holy nation. It says God's own special people are God's special possessions, which I love. We belong to Christ that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And when we gather together and we worship him, we are fulfilling what we are called to do. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this is who we are. So when we discover Melchizedek and perhaps Jesus being Melchizedek or at least being a type of Melchizedek, we should reflect upon the fact that we are a priesthood. And what kind of sacrifices would we give? Well, I think that is Romans 12, one and two. <clears throat> I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God for you. So we are a royal priesthood and we give ourselves as a sacrifice that we could be consumed by him. And it's our reasonable service to say, here I am, God, I'm yours. Use me in whatever way you see fit. And that ought to be the prayer of every single one of us.
0: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. And His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus south of Palo Verde and I-10 meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. PCLAZ.org. That's PCLAZ.org, where you can make a secure one time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a recurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life, or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for Reach College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.